Second Kings, Second Kings chapter five. So good to see you. Welcome our, welcome all of our students back. We've been out of town. And uh, we're praying that this summer will be a very fruitful one for all of you. Second Kings 5, look around you. If you have a neighbor who doesn't have a King James Bible, share your Bible with them. And uh, I want you to follow. And you need to take some good notes tonight. I, I pray the service this evening and the study especially will help us in our faith. It's got some tremendous thoughts that will help us tonight. And uh, sometimes people get to, you know, we're in a day and age where people get really stressed out. And uh, maybe you're stressed out tonight or you just get overwhelmed with problems and difficulties. And um, perhaps your perception of things things. It didn't turn out the way it should. And uh, that's exactly what we're going to see tonight about perceptions and reality. And we're going to see what the Word of God has to say about that and how to just have the correct thinking for, for God's glory. Second Kings 5, if you're near the passage, you'll understand why I'm skipping a few verses tonight. But I want you to start with verse 5 with me tonight, just because of the sake of time. I'm going to read through the verses and we're going to spend a little more time again tonight praying for the building banquet this coming Sunday. Say amen if you're there. Amen. Verse 5. <coughs> And the king of Syria said, go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed, and he took with him ten talents of silver. Now remember, a talent weighed anywhere from 90 to 100 pounds, okay? He took with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. Now, just a background, he was diagnosed with leprosy. And the king found out there was a possible cure. And so he sent him with all this money as a way to, as a compensation for whoever could help him with this. And he sent him to Elisha. That was going to be Elisha's payment. Now, we're not going to deal with that, but I just want you to have that in mind. That's what he, that he's going there with. He's thinking he could buy good health there. By the way, money can't buy you good health and money can't buy your salvation. Amen? And verse 6, he said, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, Now, when this letter is coming to thee, behold, I have there with thee Naaman, my servant, to thee, uh, that, thou, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes, and he said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Now, bear in mind, nobody had ever been cured of leprosy during that time. And uh, so he said, Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so, when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a message, messenger unto him, and said, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and he went away. And notice this phrase. He said, Behold, I thought. Behold, I thought. He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place to recover his lep this leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. His servants came near and they spake unto him. And they said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, 
according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. I call your attention to verse 11 tonight. Naaman had heard the word that the prophet Elisha could heal him of his leprosy. You know, when you're at the place where the doctors don't know what to do, and the medicine doesn't work, the government doesn't have an answer, man, you're clinging to hope. And uh, as we'll see tonight, this man goes down to his great entourage, hoping to seek help for his situation And in his mind, he was thinking, as you read verse 11, he's thinking, wow, he's going to do something great for me. He's going to strike his hand and uh, recover this leper. And in fact, when he pulls up in his chariot, you might think he pulled up in his big car. He pulled up in his chariot. Elisha didn't even come out to acknowledge him. He just sent a messenger out. He says, just go tell him to go down the Jordan River and dip himself seven times, you know. And uh, just name it just kind of felt like, man, what's going on here? He didn't acknowledge me. And he's telling me to go to the, one of the dirtiest rivers of the Middle East. It was because it, the way the water flowed picked up a lot of mud and sentiment. And if you ever see pictures of the, of the Jordan River, it's a very, very murky water. It's not a, it's not a clean-looking water there. And he's just really upset. He's just really, really upset. And he says this, behold, I thought. You know, a lot of times we, things don't turn out the way we think it should. Sometimes we have this conception, this idea that this person is something, but they want to be something else, or the church is going to be something, and it's something else. He said, behold, I thought. I want to see tonight this thought about just perceptions, unfulfilled realities, unfulfilled expectations. We want to see tonight what the Bible has to say about that. And perhaps some of us this evening have been down that pathway And maybe tonight some of us are just there right now that we're just struggling with maybe a conception or thought of something that really is not turning out the way that we hoped that it would. And may God help us tonight to think as God does and see how do we deal with this when our our, our perceptions are really not lining up with what what really is happening, the realities of our life. Now, Father, tonight I pray with this small introduction, I pray that you just bless the word in our study tonight. I hope not to keep everyone long. but I do pray, Lord, to say enough that, that Lord, it will, it will quench the thirst in our heart. And I pray, God, to be a vessel and to honor and for the Holy Spirit to use me as your conduit to speak to the hearts of a very precious people. Across, Lord, our congregation tonight, those here and those watching by live stream, there's a lot of trials. There's a lot of difficulties, a lot of heartaches, a lot of disappointments. And I pray that tonight, as Lord, as I, Lord, the Holy Spirit just was impressing work in my heart over the last few days, I pray this, this service would tonight would just be a life-changing time for us. Open our eyes, behold wonderful things out of your law. And Lord, I pray that our heart would be very sensitive and tender and teachable for the Lord to work. Lord, I pray for our translators tonight as they translate, you help them to catch every word carefully. I pray that you bless and use our translators tonight as they translate in different languages. And may tonight, Lord, more importantly, may we hear the Holy Spirit. May we hear your tender voice. And God, it might be just a still, small voice that we hear tonight. And I pray that that's exactly what we'll heed tonight. Bless our service, we pray this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. These 14 verses, if you've been around the Bible much, are, just have great application in many ways. Uh, great salvation message here. When you think about Naaman and his need for just being cured of leprosy, and of course, if you read through the Bible, leprosy is always a picture of sin. 
And uh, we see this man cured, and we see how he followed the word of God, and it wasn't anything he did. It was the power of God that saved him. We look at here about this little maid that's found here in verse, uh, verse 2 and 3. And, and uh, that's the only place she's mentioned in the Bible. But this little maid was found faithful. And God used her as a servant of the Lord to communicate the message to that helped this man to find the prophet Elisha. But that's not what we're going to look at primarily that we may allude to and spend some time there a little bit later tonight. I draw your attention to verse 11, those three words that Naaman said that are very troubling words. These are words that perhaps you and I have said and you and I have mentioned and you and I have probably thought about when we face situations where our perception of something should have happened a certain way and it didn't happen and we were disappointed. And those three words that he said are, behold, I thought. Have you ever looked at a vacation brochure? And in that vacation brochure, it's very colorful and describes these beautiful places you're going to go to and pristine waters and, and, and shows these pictures of a beautiful vacation resort. And they, and they, and they just, and the, and you, you just look at it and it just, it's so enticing. And you look at it and you think, man, I've got to go there. I mean, look at that hotel. And if you're married, you show your spouse, hey, you look at this picture. It doesn't look really great. Don't you think it'd be great for us to try this? And, and but part of what we could do, we can go zip lining afterwards and we can go horseback writing afterwards and we can do all these things and, and so you look at it and you look at the package of that and it says listen it's all taken care of your, your air first taken care of you'll have breakfast in the morning of course they didn't tell you what's for breakfast in the morning man. and you have breakfast in the morning and all these things and you get on the plane you realize that it wasn't exactly the kind of plane you thought it would be and you didn't realize that you had to bring your own water for the plane you know and things like that and, but you said that's okay it's only a few hour flight and, uh, and you get on that and you arrive at the destination and the hotel does not look like the one you saw on the picture and you think well I'll go through it and the room doesn't look like what you saw in the picture and you get up in the morning and you go for the breakfast and the continental breakfast wasn't exactly what you thought it would be it didn't line up with the picture and you came to find out that the horse the horse riding experience you're going to have that the horses were very tired and old and they really couldn't go very far and you wind up realizing the zip line you looked at said so that looks pretty dangerous I don't think I'm going to do it and you look at it and you think I thought that this was supposed to be like the picture and it didn't line up that way We call this perspective. We call this when we get their unfulfilled expectations. We had these expectations that this vacation, as we saw in the picture, would turn out really good. But our, our, our desires are, are, were not fulfilled in what we experience. And we're very, very disappointed. And, you know, sometimes we go through life and we have experience and situ, uh, we experience situations and events and results that just really don't turn out the way we thought it would be. Ask someone who's been diagnosed with an illness and they're going through certain treatments and, and what the doctors told them would happen didn't happen and they wind up going through some complications. I mean, it just didn't turn out the way they thought it would. And we wind up finding ourselves saying this, we thought it would have turned out a certain way, but it didn't. We thought a person would do something for us, but he or she didn't. Tonight, I want us to look at that thought about unfulfilled expectations and disappointments in life as we look at Naaman's life and that thought he conveys, behold, I thought. Notice, first of all, tonight, the reason we come to that place. Notice the reason we come to that place. Would you notice in chapter 5, verse 1, let's go back to the beginning and understand what's going on here. Notice we're introduced to this man by the name of Naaman. He's only mentioned in chapter 5. 
Naaman was a great man. Notice in chapter 5, verse 1, we're told a number of things that describe this man. He was a captain of the host of the king of Syria. Now, the Syrians were the ongoing enemies north of, of Israel there, right there on the coastline. Where Syria's at today was the same place it was at back at that time. And the Syrians were always a nemesis, an enemy of Israel. And the king of Syria at that time, he had his name was Benadad. He had this great captain by the name of Naaman. Just the very mention of Naaman's name instilled fear and uh, chills up the spines of the enemies. And they had had certain uh, times that they had defeated the, the, the nation of Israel. And the Bible describes him as a captain. He was a leader. He was a decision maker. Notice in verse 1, he's called a great man with his master. He was held in great esteem by the king. The king favored him. In fact, there was nothing the king would not do for this man as we see. He was a great man. He rose to great prominence. He probably was in the making becoming the next king of Syria. The Bible says he was a great man. The Bible says he was honorable. All of the nation of the Syrians honored this man. He was held in high esteem. The Bible says later on, he was a mighty man in valor. He was a man that was great. I mean, if you look at him from the standpoint of success, he was a successful man. He pictured someone that, that was physically healthy, per se, on the outside. He pictured someone that knew what he was doing. He was very competent. He was, uh, he was one that people looked up to. He gave people advice. But the Bible says something that is very troubling in verse 1. It says he was a great man. He was honorable. He was a captain. He was a mighty man. But then it says, but, but, he was a leper. And being a leper back in that day was a very terrifying thing. Leprosy was a, was, a, was a disease that they had no cure for. It was an incurable disease. Leprosy made you a social outcast. If you were diagnosed with leprosy over time, you would have to be part of a leper's colony because they believed that leprosy back in that time was contagious and they didn't want lepers around them. Leprosy was a slow, rotting disease. You would just rot from the inside out and it would begin with that over time that you would, your hair would fall off and you're, you're out and your limbs would fall off. It was just a very, very terrible disease. Leprosy would turn everything in life into a major disappointment. And here's this man, Naaman. He probably thought at one time that life was going great and he would continue to be successful and he would have all this money and he'd continue to have prestige and he would continue to have all these conquests and accomplishments. But the Bible tells us immediately in verse 1, in spite of all those things, this man was a leper. Can I remind you something tonight that you may be, in a, you may be on an upward curve of success and things are going very well and money's coming in and debts are being paid for? And your health is very good, but there's going to come a time when things change. There's going to come a time when you get a little bit older. There comes a time when you slow down a little bit. There comes a time when you're going to face disappointment. You're going to face ailments and ills and things like that. And just like this man, the Bible says all these good things, but he was a leper. I remind you tonight that life will have its share of blessings and its shares of success, but life will also have its shares of disappointments and setbacks and times where we're just kind of wondering, I didn't expect this to happen. Why did this happen to me? I thought I was on the opera trek there. Well, in spite of all that, notice we read in verses 2 and 3 about the fact this man had a little maid. The Bible says in verse 2, and the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel, little maid. Now, there's a reason why the Holy Spirit put that there. The Holy Spirit didn't focus our attention on other captives that they took out of Israel. It focused our attention in verse 2 and 3 on this woman who's called a little maid. She was just a little servant. She may have been just a young teenage girl that was employed into the service of the king of Syria. And of all things, we notice in verse 3 that he employed her to be the servant to his wife. And the Bible says in verse 3, she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, with the prophet in Samaria, for he would recover from his leprosy. You know, this little maid was, was in, well, nobody thought about her. 
Nobody thought anything that she would amount up to much. Nobody paid attention to her. But this little maid was very observant. She watched every day as Naaman, and it was known throughout the household that Naaman had this leprosy. And it's amazing because of his position that he wasn't a social outcast earlier. But she watched him every day as he went in and went out. Perhaps that he just, he showed the real self of him before his wife. And perhaps he cried and wept as he told his wife, I don't know what to do. And there's no doctor that knows what to do. And there's no cure for me. And she watched his man as he continued to deteriorate every day and white spots would appear all over him and all the signs of leprosy and this little maid instead of getting hardened and hard or being judgmental of him and saying well that's what you get for taking me as a captive and that's what you get for afflicting my people of Israel this little maid had a heart a servant's heart for for this man and she said to her mistress one day she said what to God if my Lord could just get to Samaria and get be with the prophet of God we look at this little maid what a picture of a soul winner amen what a picture of someone that she's in a foreign land and though there wasn't much she could do she gave a word of cheer may remind you tonight there may be a lot of things a lot of us can't do there may be a lot of things that we can't do and a lot of places we can go but everybody here can be a witness for Jesus Christ and everybody here can give a word of cheer to somebody else and, and everybody here can say something that can encourage another person and everyone here can have a word that can lift a person's spirit hey you may never know tonight someone that you talk to tonight is just waiting for someone like you to tell them that you love them and Jesus Jesus loves them, and there's something good that God can do for their lives. You look at this little maid, and she turned and perhaps tears in her eyes, and she says to this mistress, you know what? I know a solution for this, your, 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 your master. I have a solution for him. If he can get up to Samaria, and he can find the prophet Elijah, he will cure him of the leprosy. Hey, aren't you glad tonight, no matter how bad the world may be, no matter how bad finances may be, no matter if there's terrorists in this country or terrorists on that country, no matter what it may be, we can tell people about Jesus, and Jesus can change their lives. Amen? Aren't you glad tonight it's not tariffs and treaties and covenants between countries that can change the thing, that change the situation around. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that can change a country, amen? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that can change your life and my life for the glory of God. This little maid brought a word of cheer. and She told this man, she said, if you can just get up there, he would recover from his leprosy. I'm glad tonight I have a Jesus who can save souls, Amen. I'm glad I've got a Jesus tonight that can forgive sinners of their sins. I'm glad I've got a Jesus tonight that can take someone that's all messed up on, with sin and he can turn our life around and change it. Listen tonight, don't say that you're unchangeable and don't say that you're, you're beyond God working. He can do all things in your life and mine. Don't get, have that mindset. Listen, this little maid had more faith than anybody in Syria and perhaps more faith than anybody in Israel because she said, what to God he can get to Samaria? And so she spoke the word and the word came and they're hanging on to hope. They didn't, even, they didn't even search out what she said to substantiate. Was there any truth? They just believed it was truth. Hey, aren't you glad tonight the word of God is truth? Yeah. They just accepted this truth. Immediately the word got to the king of Syria. Would you notice this? The king of Syria got this word. And he thought, man, this is, this, is, this is my good friend. The Bible says he was a great man with his master. I don't think there's anything this king of Syria wouldn't have done for, for Naaman. So the king of Syria, he takes money. They had a lot of money. Notice it describes here 6,000 pieces of gold. Now you just, you multiply it out today's value. That's a lot of gold, amen? 10 talents of silver. If it's 90 pounds a bag, conservatively speaking, at the price of silver, that's a lot of silver. 
And ten changes of raiment. I mean, this man, this man prepared name, and he says, listen, if we're going to go, and this prophet of Israel is able to strike the place, if he's able to touch your life and give you healing, we better come with the compensation to pay that man well, because, listen, there's, that's something doctors can't do, and that's something that nobody else can do. We don't have anybody in Syria who can do it. And if there's this man who can do that, we need to pay him well. And I want to tell you tonight, the gospel of Jesus Christ is free. You don't have to buy it, Amen. And so they send Naaman and an entourage of people up with all this money and all this clothing, expecting that he could buy his health. The king even wrote a letter. Notice verse 6. He wrote a letter to the king of Israel, and he said, Now, when you get this letter, I have sent Naaman, my, my servant, to you. And he says, I want you to recover from his leprosy. Now, you can tell the king of Syria didn't have all the facts straight, and he didn't really understand that he should have directed this to Elisha, but he was following political protocols, if I can say that. And following political protocols, he basically said, well, listen, here's the letter. I don't know who your man is, but he says, I'm going to hold you responsible. I'm going to hold you accountable. I've got all this money here. I want you to take care of help this man. Well, the king of Israel didn't take that very well. First of all, he was the son of Ahab, amen. As a son of Ahab, he didn't have much faith. As a son of Ahab, he was an ungodly man. He was actually a pagan man. And, and they had already gotten whipped by this, by this king of Syria several other times. And he thought, here he comes again. He's trying to stir up controversy. He's trying to stir up problems here. And he got upset. And he's very frustrated. And the Bible says in verse 7, the king of Israel, he rent his clothes. He started crying like a crybaby. And he said, am I God to kill and make life? Isn't that something interesting? The king of Syria, this pagan man, and, and, and the people of Syria had more faith about what God could do up in Israel than the king of Israel had. You know, can I say something tonight? Sometimes we can get so used to being in church and so used to being under the Bible and so used to being in prayer that we forget that maybe somebody who's new to the faith, they might have more faith than you and me. We get so used to seeing the same old things and we're not able to see what God wants us to see there. And so the king of Israel was just very upset with that. And he said, behold, consider, I pray, how he considers a quarrel against me. Well, you know, of all things, their letters read and, and, you know, everybody around there is they're all nervous because they're thinking, man, the king's going to take our heads because uh, he's going to put it back on us. And somehow someone rushed and told the prophet Elisha. And uh, Elisha got the word of that. He says, you know, don't worry about this. I'll take care of this matter, king. He says, listen, you, you just, you, you just, you, 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 here's what you do. He said, uh, he says, it came to him, and, he, and, he, and, and Elisha gets it, he says, uh, verse 8, and so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel rent his clothes, he says, what have you, he said, wherefore have thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. Now, I'm glad he spoke to the authority of the prophet, amen? He says, just bring him to me. Let him come to me. You know, bring him to me, and he'll know there's a prophet in Israel. He'll know there's a man of God here that can help him with this situation there. He said, just send him to me. I'll take care of it. And I think God already had prepared Elisha for this, this experience and this situation there. But Elisha said, I, you know, I'll take care of this king. You don't have to worry about it. And, uh, you know, by the way, I just would tell you this evening, I think we could solve a lot, a lot of problems instead of worrying about all these ministers' defenses, all these cabinet people fighting amongst themselves. They just got some godly preachers up there in the White House to help them with some of these things. And some godly preachers up there, about, I, I can think about 25 preachers right now, if they got about 25 Baptist preachers up there in Congress. We could solve a lot of their problems. How many believe that tonight? Amen? Okay. We could solve it. First of all, we'd have a prayer meeting. Amen? And finally, the prayer meeting, we'd have some preaching. And after preaching, we'd have more prayer. Then we'd have more preaching. Then we'd give an invitation. Amen? Because those men need to get saved. Amen? And so I think we could solve a lot of those problems and get them resolved. First of all, they need to stop that fighting and all the politics stuff. They need to just get saved and have the love of Jesus in their heart. Amen? Let's go back to Naaman, though. So where he gets the name in? Go to this address, 2960 Merced Street. That's where, that's where Elisha lives, amen? <laughs> Elisha lives at 29, I gotta give you an address. I don't know what address they used back in the day, okay? 
I probably couldn't even pronounce it if I could tell you that. Amen? Go to 2960 Merced Street and pull your, pull your chariot up there. Pull, your, pull, your, pull up your Bradley tank there and your entourage there and stop there. There's a man of God there right there. So he pulled, look what happens here. He pulls up to the house. And it says in verse 9, so Naaman came with his horse and with his chariots and sealed the door of the house of light. Now this is comical. Somebody asked the other day, do you think God has a sense of humor? Absolutely. And I want you to imagine this here. Now he didn't just pull up and he's just observing the house. He pulled up the house and he sent somebody there to knock on the door. Now that's kind of interesting. Normally we're the ones knocking on people's doors, amen? In this case, he's knocking on the door because he wants to get in. He wants to get in on some stuff there, amen? And he stands out there and somebody's knocking on the door. Elisha didn't even bother to get up. Elisha, you know what's Elisha? He's either praying or he's in the midst of getting a sermon ready, amen? He says, I don't have time for this. He sends his servant, and I think that probably was probably Gehazi. He says, hey, Gehazi, just go tell him. Go, go, go tell, I know who that is. That's the king of, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's name and the captain. Just go tell him this. Go tell him, go back down a little bit further. Go down the River Jordan. And of course, you know, the River Jordan was probably overflowing at that time. The River Jordan, here's what you tell him. Go dip yourself seven times in water. In other words, you go, you put head for, you go for, you walk in the water and go all the way in the water. You dip yourself under it seven times. Now bear in mind, the Jordan River was, was murky and muddy and dirty and sediment all over, and probably, probably, uh, probably scavenger fish on the bottom there. You know what I'm saying? Like catfish, things like that. And he says, go dip yourself seven times. Now, that wasn't the answer he wanted to hear. That was not what he was expecting in his mind. He expected something else, and that's what the, that's what the man of God told him to do. He says, go dip yourself seven times. Now, I want you to understand something. He told him to do something that was, in, in, was entirely just ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It was actually ludicrous. It was something you laugh at. You're, you, and you would say something like, you've got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding. You want me to go to the, I mean, that would be like me telling you, go to Lake Merritt and dip yourself seven times in Lake Merritt, okay? <laughs> All right, I told you to go over to the marina here and dip yourself seven times in the marina water after the water's gone out. <laughs> you know. I mean, that's what he was thinking. I'm not, I'm not trying to stretch the imagination. I mean, that's just what he was thinking. He, he'd seen the, hey, listen, the Jordan River depended upon, the waterfall of the Jordan River depended on the snow mount, melting upon the mountain caps. And, and if you've ever been like up to Yosemite around this time of the year, when the snow starts to melt and you see the, the Merced River and those rivers, I mean, they're flowing and the waterfall's coming down. I mean, that's how the Jordan River was fed. It, it depended upon the, the, the melting of the snow and the coming down of that. And, but when it did, it picked up all the dirt and the sediment and would be, it would be a very calm river during normal times. It stretched out and was a torrential flood during those, those, those seasons there. And he's thinking, you want me to go down there with all that mud and all that dirt and all that sediment and all that junk? And you want me to stick my hand under that for seven times? And notice verse 11. Naaman was wroth. And he went away. He said, behold, I thought. He would surely come out to me. And he's insulted. I thought he would come out to me. I thought he would examine me. I thought he would come out and say, well, Captain Damon, I'm glad you're here. I thought he would come out to me. And notice this. He had the, in his mind, he says, surely, I thought he would come out to me and call on the name of the Lord his God. Now, that's what pagans did. They would say, oh, Baal, 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 come out, Baal. They would yell and do all these things. And we read over, how about Elijah when he confronted the prophets of Baal. Even now they got so desperate, they took knives and started to cut their arms. They started to mutilate. Hey, what kind of religion is it that makes you cut yourself up, amen? 
And then he said, I, I thought he'd come out and call the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Hey, listen, he had the mindset of a typical charismatic of the day, amen? Charismatics think, well, you've got to come to church because, man, we're going to have a miracle happen here. We're going to call on God and people are going to come out there and they're going to run around the auditorium and they're going to speak in tongues. And you're going to see a miraculous healing. He thought, man, I'm going to see, I'm going to see some magic here. If I'm, he's going to call his God and there's going to be some magic coming out and lightning coming down and he's going to ask God to strike this place and recover the leper. He thought there's just going to be a lot of drama around it. He said, behold, I thought this was going to happen. And he told me to go down the Jordan River and dip myself seven times. Naaman had unfulfilled expectations. Naaman was disappointed. Write this down. Naaman had a distorted perception of what he thought God would do. He had distorted perception of what he thought God would do. Hey, I wonder tonight, what's your concept of God? Do we have a distorted perception of what we think God would do? Hey, Naaman had a distorted perception of who Elisha was and what he was supposed to do. He had distorted perception about the Jordan River and what he was commanded to do. Hey, listen, what, he told, what God told this man to do was not difficult. What God told him to do was not hard, but he thought of it just being too simple. And he thought of it being just something beneath his dignity. He thought, of, hey, listen, for a lot of people, they'd rather go through religious ceremonies and all of these different types of things than going, coming by the way of faith and trusting Jesus Christ the Savior. Name was disappointed. I wonder tonight how many of us are living in the place of behold, I thought. We've got distorted perception. Would you listen to me tonight? Is this us? Behold, I thought God was supposed to answer my prayers. Behold, I thought that the Christian life, that I, I could keep living the way I used to live before I got saved. Behold, I thought, I, I thought Christians were supposed to be perfect. How come they turned out that way? Behold, I thought that children from Christian families were supposed to be good. Behold, I thought someone said uh, that someone else would volunteer and do the job. Behold, I thought someone else would show up for the giving by faith banquet and they'd give the offering, take care, because that's happened every other year that we've had that happen. Behold, I thought I had more time to get things done. Behold, I thought that, that it was just a little sin. And behold, I thought there were enough people serving in the church. And behold, I thought that there were enough missionaries on the mission field. And behold, I thought my problems were supposed to go away after I got saved. And behold, I thought that, I thought that God was supposed to be there, but God wasn't there for me when I needed him. Hey, listen, the biggest cop-out people make, they say God wasn't there for, them, for me when I needed him. Hey, but were you there when God called you to do something? Oh, I thought my husband and wife were supposed to change. Behold, I thought the pastor was supposed to meet my needs. Behold, I thought the Bible was supposed to be covered. Hey, behold, I thought just God is a God of love. I didn't know there were other things attached. You know, we're, we're like that. We have these distorted perceptions. We say, behold, I thought, behold, I thought somebody else was get the job done. Behold, I thought they were going to show up and do their part. Behold, I thought this was going to happen. Behold, I thought God would help me through this circumstance. Behold, I thought I had the right doctor. Behold, I thought I had the right marriage. Behold, I thought I had the right father and mother. Hey, listen, we can go through life having all these distorted perceptions about things. Behold, I thought, both the hummingbird and the vulture fly over our nation's deserts. All vultures see are rotting meat, because that is what they look for. But hummingbirds ignore the smelly flesh of dead animals. Instead, they look for the colorful blossoms of desert plants. Listen to this, vultures live on what was, they live on the past. They fill themselves with what is dead and what is gone. 
Hummingbirds live on what is. They seek new life. They fill themselves with freshness and life. Both birds, each bird finds what it's looking for. What do you see in your life tonight? What's your perception about your situation? What's your perception about your Christian faith? What's your perception about God and the Bible? What's your perception about your church and your membership to the church? What's your perception about prayer and how God, God works through prayer and how we need to work in prayer? What's your perception? He said, behold, I thought we see the reason. Notice number two, but you notice the reaction. When disappointment comes, so does disillusionment. When we're disillusioned, we're very jaded. We're um, skeptical. We're standoffish. We become non-sociable. We, uh, we're very suspicious. We, um, we're doubtful. It's hard to trust. It's hard to believe. When a person, event, or an outcome doesn't turn out the way we think it should, we have a reaction. You've heard me say this many times, there's a different response and a reaction. Reaction, we're letting the circumstance affect us. The reaction brings what is really inside of us out of us. Response, on the other hand, is that you experience the same thing, but a response is saying, I look at the situation, I'm not looking for what it can turn me into, I'm looking at it in terms of what the solution can be for this situation. You look at Moses many times as the children of Israel, they complained and murmured against him. He could have reacted and said he responded every time. He responded for an answer. He responded for their best benefit. And I want you to notice Naaman. Would you notice his reaction tonight? In verse 11 and 12, it says this. In verse 11, he was wroth and he went away. In verse 12, it says at the end, he turned and went away in a rage. Now, I want you to notice it here. It says here, he was wroth. The word wroth basically means the same thing we read in verse 12, that he, that he was filled with rage. Uh, rage and wrath or anger that is very furious and lacking in good judgment and reason. You want to write that down. When we morph into this place, this kind of person, where we're filled with rage about a situation and wrath, we, we lose good sense and reasoning. We lack good judgment, and we have an anger that controls us. Rage is seething anger. We're going to see that in a moment here. Rage brings out bitterness and a spirit of judgment and retaliation. When we're consumed with rage, we lack that sense and reasoning. Hey, look at chapter, Genesis chapter 4. I don't know if it's in your notes, but if not, turn to your Bible. Genesis chapter 4, verse 5. It says of Cain, after God told Cain, that he did not have respect to his offering, but to the offering that his brother Abel gave. Here's the, here's the reaction of Cain in Genesis 4, 5. Cain was very wroth. Hey, watch what happens here. If we don't get the acknowledgement, we might wind up like a Cain or like a Naaman and feel very wroth. If the results don't turn out the way we think it should, we may become very wroth. If someone disappoints us because they didn't do what we thought they should have done, or they weren't where we thought they should have been, we become very disappointed, and we can be filled with wrath. We can be filled with wrath. Notice says here, Cain was very wroth. May I remind you tonight, brother and sister in Christ, of James 1, 19, verse, and verses 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 19, 20, he said, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Now, that's good admonition. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Let's say that together. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow, I didn't hear you tonight. Let's read it together. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. The name it was a hothead because he was a type A personality. He was a leader. He was filled with wrath. Would you notice here this evening? He had seething wrath. 
Verse 20 of James 1 says, The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Seething wrath. The Bible says he was wroth. And he went away in a rage. You you imagine at that moment in time, he gets his report from this messenger, probably Gehazi. And he he hears his report, hey, just go to the Jordan River, dip yourself seven times in that water and you'll be fine. And he was filled with anger. He was filled with, in fact, he was filled with the rage. He wanted to take somebody out of that moment in time. He's a, he's a military captain. He's had many conquests and victories. He's filled with anger. Hey, can I ask you a question tonight? Are you someone living with anger, major disappointment, bitterness, and rage because you're living with unrealized expectations? You're living with major disappointments? But I thought you'd accept me. But I thought you would, would understand and they didn't, and you're filled with these, these expectations, you're filled with this wrath, this anger. Or you somebody thinks you were disrespected, and we all get disrespected, disappointed, misled by someone, and you feel like he or she committed an unforgivable sin. I mean, just the reality of it is those things happen. Comes from our employers, comes from our peers, comes from brothers and sisters of Christ, comes from people we rub shoulders with. And let me ask you this tonight. Because really, a man, he received the truth of God's word. Did he not? He got the word of God from Elijah. Elijah told him exactly. He said, all you got to do is follow and obey what God says. He says, just go down the river. I mean, he, he came with all this money. He came with this expectation that he was going to get cured of it. And he had, and in his mind, he thought, hey, I'm, he's going to strike this place and recover this leper from his leprosy. He had all these grandiose thoughts of what was going to happen. And the prophet basically didn't even come out. And he says, yeah, you know, I see your entourage. But just go down the Jordan. Don't waste your time. Just go down the Jordan River and dip yourself seven times. You heard the truth. Can I tell you something tonight? Are you someone tonight that's angry because the truth has been preached and you can't deal with the truth? Remind you tonight of Galatians 4.16, what Paul said, because sometimes the truth hurts, and sometimes the truth stings, and sometimes the truth goes really deep into us like a knife. Can I remind you what he said in Galatians 4.16? Am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Remind you tonight, thank God when you go to church and you hear the word of God preach, you're hearing the truth. Amen? The word of God's open and telling you the truth. It's telling you exactly what God wants you to hear. And sometimes the truth hurts. And you know what? We live in a day and age, everybody's getting fake news. Amen? You get used to fake news. You get, to, you, get, you get used to people telling you lies. I'm thankful at least I can come to church and where there's expository preaching, I get the word of God. And I know at the end of the day when it's all said and done for, I'm hearing the truth of God's word, not the lies of Satan. Amen? Amen. So number one, he had seething anger. He was wroth and he had rage. But notice second, watch this now, watch this. Because he had, he had, he had unfulfilled expectations. He had major disappointments. He said, behold, I thought. Watch this. He had seething anger, but he went away. Number two, he went away. You know what happens when we get to this place where our expectations are not met and we're disappointed? We're always living on the edge of going to the other side. We're just thinking, man, I just think I'm going to go away. And you'll notice this tonight. This man Naaman went away physically. He went away emotionally, and he went away spiritually. To remind you tonight, when if you're not very careful, and I'm very careful, this happens to preachers, it happens to preachers a lot, we get our feelings hurt. We get our emotions all rattled up. We feel like nobody cares, and we didn't like how maybe we got stepped on somehow, or somebody offended us. And let me, let me just tell you, life is filled with offenses. And if we're not very careful, we get this attitude like we do in the second world. I think I'm just going to go away. I think I'm going to leave. I think I'm going to find somewhere else to go to. I think I'll find another spouse. I think I'll find another church. I think I'll find another friend. I think I'll find another opportunity. And we think that's the solution until we find out it happens there as well too. He went away. He left. 
lot of times people think leaving is the right thing for them. That gets them away. So many marriages, they have an unrealistic perception about their marriage or disappoint the marriage. They said, I've got to go away. I've got to leave. I tell you tonight, the worst thing to do in your marriage is to leave. Or we think that, you know, the church is not meeting my need. The church is not this. church is not that. church is not perfect. Amen? Churches are not perfect. Preachers are not perfect. By, by the way, God's word is perfect. Amen? You say, well, he didn't preach what I need. Well, just keep coming to church. Eventually, if he's preaching the Bible, he'll get to it. Amen? You know? But you know our inclination is? Is it like Naaman? I'm going to be filled with wrath and I'm going to go away. Listen, the worst thing to do when you're disappointed is leave your church. That's not biblical. Naaman went away in a rage. Naaman went away thinking Elisha and God weren't there for him when he needed him. Naaman went away thinking he deserved better than what he got. Sometimes you're not very careful. Was in this case, but we're not very careful when we're at a weak moment and we're spiritually and emotionally unstable, okay? A double-minded man is unstable all the time. When we're emotionally, spiritually unstable, we're not very careful. Somebody wants to be a busybody in your life who has all the answers except from God's word and they want to come alongside of you and tell you what to do and they get you all emotionally all riled up. Watch out for someone who wants to get you all emotionally riled up and tells you, well, maybe you ought to leave. Listen, you ought to do like, like what happened in many other times in the Bible when the devil starts whispering in your ear and telling you to leave. That's the time to get up and say, devil, get away. I'm staying right where I'm at. Amen. And we decide to leave, our pride gets the best of us. And we leave, we could be walking away from seeing God work in our life and doing where we see that working in Romans 8, 28, where he, he, does, he does all things, he works all things together for good to them that love him. I'm just saying tonight, we look at this man named and we see the reason for his, his wrong perceptions. We see the reason for his disappointments. And we see, we see his reaction, his reaction was to go away. Did you notice tonight, would you see as we close the remedy for this situation? He's angry. Verse 14, he says, look, the rivers of Damascus are better than the rivers of Israel. So you think of the two leading tributaries in their, in their water system, Abana and Farpar. Aren't they better than all the waters of Israel? And he says, may, not, may I not wash them and be clean? He's just thinking, I've already got leprosy. If I go in the Jordan River, I might get worse. He says, at least can I go into clean water to wash myself? And he's not, he's not thinking, he's not thinking on, the, on the level where God's at. And he turned and went away in a rage. He was walking back to his chariot. He was going to take off. Now watch this. Would you watch this tonight? Watch this. We're almost done. Would you notice verse 13? The servants came near you know, when you see situations like this, and I can name you several. I think of John chapter 2 when the, the, the changing of the water into wine. Sometimes those with servants' hearts have more sense than those who are in positions of authority. And these servants had a servant's heart. They had a humility. They, they heard what the prophet said, and they had faith that God could do this. And notice what the servants said to him. They came near. They tried to reason with him, and, they, and thank God they did. They said, my father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, watch and be clean? So somehow that moment of rage, that moment of just, just exasperation, they were able to appeal to him and get a hold of his thought process. And, and they said, don't you think if he asked you to do something great, you would have done it? And he had to come back to earth. He had to listen very carefully to the humble words of these servants. Now let me say this tonight. Sometimes the very words we need to hear, 
the very word of encouragement is from the least likely person who's just going to come alongside. We don't even know. There are nobody that's important to anybody else but God. And maybe at that right moment, they're going to say something that will help you from making a major mistake or a bad decision. And he listened. He didn't argue. He didn't, he didn't contradict them. Somehow the Holy Spirit got a hold of his heart. And he traveled down to the Jordan. He, the Bible says he went down. And he dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. He did exactly what he's told to do. And I like this part, part here in verse 14. His flesh came again like the flesh of a little child. It was clean. The leprosy was gone. He did exactly what God told him to do. Now let me give you some thoughts tonight as we think about the remedy. Would you write this down? First of all, God loved Naaman. And by the way, God loves you. Amen? Amen. God loved him. God was patient with him. Whatever your disappointment may be, whatever your wrong perception may be, you remind yourself tonight God loves you. God's love, sometimes we limit it only to Calvary and salvation, but I remind you, God's love, is, God's love continues. Nothing shall separate from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hey, every now and then we need to pull aside to Ephesians chapter 3 and read about the love of Christ. And we need to go over to 1 John chapter 4 and read about the love of Christ and let it permeate our soul and let that perfect love touch our lives. God loved Naaman and he loves you and me. Secondly, God placed those servants in his life to tell him what he needed to hear at that critical time. Thirdly, Naaman had to humble himself and obey the word of God. Fourthly, dip himself seven times in the Jordan River to cleanse himself. He was a picture of the fact that he needed to come under the power of the word of God. Let me remind you tonight, when we're, we're at a place where disappointment is set in, and uh, we have maybe perceptions that are distorted, and things are not the way it needs to be, we need to get under the power of God's word and realize through the simplicity of God's word, we need to come under his authority and obey it, and let God's word prevail in our lives and not our reasoning, amen? Because the, what the word of God said went, went way beyond his reason. It proved his reason wrong. May I tell you tonight, a lot of times our thinking's all upside down. What we need is the thought of God, amen? So as we look at that this evening, what, is, what do we say in the application? Go to, with me to Philippians chapter 2. Don't look at your notes. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to give you three or four things and we're done tonight. Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8. Would you, would you turn there please? Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8 says, let this mind be in you. Now apply that to your situation tonight. If you are dealing with unrealistic expectations, unfulfilled expectations, disappointments or distorted perceptions, let this mind be in you. That means tonight, we've got to humble ourselves to get the mind of God. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. <coughs> but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of Christ. Now what do we learn from all this? What's the remedy? Number one, we need the mind of Christ. You need the mind of Christ. Easier said than done. To get the mind of Christ involves incredible humility. Getting the mind of Christ means to stepping down from our, from, our, from our platform and getting down on the level where we just beg God. Notice Jesus made, brought him, made himself of no reputation and became just like a servant. We need the mind of Christ. And during those critical moments when we've been hurt, those critical moments when we've been disappointed, those critical moments when we just are experiencing just an upside down situation, we need to be still and know that he's God. Amen. To humble ourselves before God and say, God, I need to know your mind is better. Secondly, we need to die to self. We need to die to self. Look what Jesus did here. The Bible says, being found in fashion, man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. We need to die to self. We need to die to the flesh. James Calvert was a missionary that went to the Fiji Islands many years ago. Back in those times, some of those islands had 
cannibalistic people when he's one of the first missionaries and went there. The captain on the ship that was taking you over there, they said, we're only going to take you so far and then you're going to have to take one of these boats off the ship and get yourself down and row yourself all the way to the shoreline. And the captain of the ship tried to talk James Calvert out of it like they did back in those days. They tried to talk a lot about it. They said, listen, we've heard stories about those islands and we've heard stories about those natives and we've heard stories about those people there. They said, you won't make it. They said, Mr. Calvert, you go there. Those people are cannibals. They're going to, they're going to kill you and they're going to eat you and they're going to cut your head. And they're head shrinkers. They're going to take you out. They said, don't you realize if you go to the Fiji Islands, you're going to die? And listen to what Mr. Calvert said. Calvert said this, we died before we came here. It reminds you tonight that before we embark on something, maybe something God puts in our life, there's too much pride and too much selfishness, and God brings it in our life that we die to self in those matters there. Number one, we need the mind of Christ. Number two, we must die to self. Number three, would you notice this? Would you write this down? We must walk in the Spirit. Would you notice Naaman had a complete spiritual change when this all happened? Now, you can't walk in the Spirit until you get saved. Amen? We look at this picture here. This is a picture of a great picture of salvation. He thought he could buy his health. He thought he could buy his way. Listen, money won't buy your way into heaven. Listen, no good works can get you to heaven. It's all by the grace of God. Praise the Lord. And he goes down there, and he, and he realizes that they don't want his money. They don't want his change of raiment, all those kind of things. They just said, obey the word of God. Listen tonight, if you're not saved, you can be saved tonight. Obey the word of God. Have faith alone in Jesus Christ, and he can save you from your sins. But notice the changes in this man's life, how he starts walking spirit after the change comes about him. Notice, first of all, we, we see this man who was very upset with Elisha before that. And notice verse 15, immediately the Bible says, after he got his flesh, came again like the flesh of a little child was clean. What did he do? Notice the Bible says, he returned to the man of God. You know, he had to walk several, he had to ride several miles down to get down the Jordan River. And he had to go several miles back up to come back up to where Elisha was at in Samaria. You know what's happening here? He humbled himself before the man of God. He humbled himself before the Lord. Listen, there's a 180 degree change from when he was wroth and went away. Can I say this tonight? We're walking in spirit when we just come to God. He said, God, I need you. I need your leadership, and I need your direction. He humbles himself. The Bible says he returns to the man of God. Hey, perhaps we've gone away from the things of God. That's the time to get back to the things of God. Number two, would you notice this? It says he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. Can I tell you how you walk in the Spirit? Not only do you come to God, you bring others to God. Amen? What a great picture there. You know, when you get saved, you want other people to hear about Jesus Christ. You want to introduce other people to the Lord. I'm thinking about one of our newer believers that got saved last year. This believer is, is probably about one, two, I think they brought about five people to, to our church that have all come to know Jesus Christ their Savior in the last, last uh, several months here. And I'm just saying that, and they're here faith. They brought several people this past Sunday here. And I'm just thinking today of this man right here in verse 15. He took all, he and all his company, he came and he brought them before Elijah. He wanted them to share in that wonderful experience. Thirdly, he came with the Spirit to give and not to receive. What you notice is he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee take a blessing for, of thy servant. Now Elisha didn't take, but here's my thought. When you're walking the Spirit, you humble yourself and get in the presence of God. When you're walking the Spirit, you bring others to the Lord. When you're walking the Spirit, you have a Spirit that wants to give, not to receive. Now, this is what I said Sunday night. We need to be ready to distribute, willing to give. I thought it was so fitting as I was preparing for this that this passage was here. It reminds us tonight as we prepare for the Giving by Faith Bank with this, this coming Sunday and probably the 10th time, I'm asking the church again to dig deep and get a spirit of grace and preparation that we prepare our hearts to bring a good offering to the Lord that we can use to pay down the debt on our buildings over here, that, we're in a, that we put our 
ourselves in a better position just eradicating the debt and freeing up our cash flow that's going to debt service. And listen, tonight, we need to get to the place of just being so thankful for all that God has done for us and realize how he's blessed us and where he's positioned us and how he's blessed us as a church and where we're at in all these situations. And, and we need to just come prepared like this man did. He said, I pray that you receive a blessing. May our attitude be on this coming Sunday, this Sunday, and every Sunday, that we just say, Lord, I pray that you receive a blessing. May we just acknowledge God for his blessings and how he enables us and how he's blessed us. And we come not just with some chump change that we give to God, but we did cheap change, but we give God our best and our all. And this man, if you notice here, he had, he had 10 bags or 10 talents of silver, and he had 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. And he had a substantial amount the wealth that he brought. He was willing to give it all to the glory of God. I mean, I say tonight, that's exactly the spirit God wants us to have, is just be willing to come to be a blessing there. Number four, number one, we need the mind of Christ. Number two, we need to die to self. Number three, we must walk in the spirit. Number four, we must pray and pray for and serve one another. Naaman's life was about people serving him. It told change about it. he came to serve others. In fact, even, even though Gehazi's motives were wrong, he stopped and took time for Gehazi. Hey, we need to take time for people and help them there. Number five, we need to change the way we look at life. When Goliath came against the Israelites, all the soldiers of Israel thought, he's so big, we can never kill him. David came along, he looked at the giant. This is what David's thoughts were. This is what David said, he's so big, I can't miss different perspective. The soldier said, he's so big, we can't kill him. David came with his slingshot, and he said, he's so big, I can't miss. We need to change our way and how we look at things. Let me close with this, and we're done. A young couple moved into a new neighborhood. They were excited about their home, excited about all the windows they had. And it happened to be that it was one of those, those, those suburban homes where, where your window faced your, your neighbor's house, and there's a lot of yard there, and uh, back in those days, people had clotheslines, and they'd hang their laundry up on the clotheslines to dry. And she happened to be where her kitchen window was, that she could, she could stand there or sit down and could look out the window, and she could see her neighbor whenever she'd put, the, she'd put her laundry out or be out in the backyard. And so they're just moving to the neighborhood, and she's looking out the window, and she sees her, and she's there with her husband. It's very early in the morning. They're having a cup of coffee together, and she sees her neighbor putting out, hanging out her laundry to dry. And the woman said this, she says to her husband, the laundry is not very clean. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs better laundry soap. Now, from where she was at, looking at the window, she said, her laundry's not very clean. It looks very dirty to me. Perhaps she needs some different laundry soap. Her husband didn't say a thing. And so this went on for several weeks. She'd look out the window, and every time, like clockwork, same time, the same day of the week, the neighbor came out, hung up her laundry out there, and that young woman would come to the window. She'd look out, holding her cup of coffee, and she'd say something like this, that laundry is not very clean. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs better laundry soap. Well, about the fifth time this happened, that the woman came out, but this time she looked out the window. She says, oh, Wow. She said, honey, come take a look at this. Come take a look at this. He said, what's going on? She said, look, she's learned how to wash correctly. I wonder who taught her how to clean her laundry. And her husband said, deadpan to her, I got up early this morning and I cleaned our windows. <laughs> you know what? The reason why we have a lot of our thoughts are not right, sometimes we need to clean the windows. Amen? We need to clean our windows. Our thoughts, behold, I thought. You're dealing or have dealt with or dealing or could deal with one day with a disappointment, distorted perceptions, unfulfilled realities. 
Tonight I'm thankful we have a God that gives us a remedy for that. We need the mind of Christ. We need to humble ourselves. We need to walk in the Spirit. We need to change the way in which we look at things. We need to pray and serve one another. I pray tonight we just would say, Lord, I need to clean some windows this evening and help me see things the way it should be seen, not from dirty eye lens, but from a clean eye, clean eye lens. If you're struggling with something like that, I may remind you this evening, we can come to a God who says, we can cast all our care upon him for he careth for us. If you're going through disappointment, don't let it make you bitter. Don't let it destroy you. Rise up from that and realize that you can have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not saved tonight, I encourage you just to consider, well, this man Naaman, <clears throat> that he wasn't sent on a goose chase, that little maid sent him there, and as he got there, that his life was changed. Listen, it's not dipping yourself in, in some water somewhere that's going to save you. It's dipping, your, it's dipping yourself in the blood of Jesus Christ and getting your sins washed away through his blood. Come to Christ tonight. Get saved this evening. Receive his forgiveness and become a son of God.